Hamilton wins again, Verstappen puts two wheels on the white stuff, and we get a strange case of arm pump in the middle of a race. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Hey gang, Drea Harrison back at it once again with a brand new episode for you, and welcome to episode 303 of Motorsport 101, or as uh, our friend and yours, Chris DeHarde, said, 101 times free. Um, good maths, everybody, good maths. 101 um, cubed. Yes, 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 yes. Um, and uh, with me on the show, as always, we have Mr. Ryan King. Hello, sir. Yes, I, I'm glad to be here. Uh, my beloved New York Knicks are finally lost again <laughs> um, oh. <laughs> i mean but, uh, the, the nuggets had us in the first quarter joke it's dropping 24 it, it was it was oh my god <laughs> it's never, it's never what a it's refreshing like, change of pace that the knicks losing a game is actual news in this wild yeah, it's surprising at this NBA point season thank you for tuning in to our impromptu episode of nba all caps by the way love you jason yeah. C. <laughs> uh, we love Jason C here. We love Jason C. But uh, like King, isn't that mean? Like, like, are you now over the line where the Knicks are guaranteed a plus five hundred finish? Yes, because uh, obviously it's been talk of a lot of discussion on our Discord server, and I forgot that uh, the Knicks. I, I forgot the NBA had shortened the season by ten yeah, games. Yeah, seventy two games. Yeah, to, to seventy two. So yes, the Knicks are past the point. They can't finish worse than five hundred this year. It's a miracle. <laughs> it's a miracle. I can say for... the same. <laughs> it's a miracle for plucky, um, overachieving, small market teams. No, stop never it. Been used to success. Stop it. So uh, the crazy underdogs come from. Forbes released their sports franchise evaluations again, and for uh, I think. The last, well, as far back as I remember, the Knicks are the third most valuable sports franchise in the world at a value of five billion dollars. <laughs> billion. Five with a B. I think that's worth more than any soccer club in the world. That's yes, just what I when I said like the only the only two franchises worth more than the New York Knicks are the New York Yankees and the Dallas Cowboys. So oh, you, so well, you yeah, mean that to makes tell sense. me that James Dolan's about to buy FC Barcelona and take all that debt off their hands? No. That's <laughs> oh, a crippling... I, I, I don't think you could ban everyone from the camp now. <laughs> <laughs> somehow. Somehow. Meantime, we also have RJ O'Connell. Hello, sir. I've gotten plenty of comments, of lovely comments while I was out earlier today on this uh, on this wonderful... Team 7-Up Jordan 191 shirt, which you can buy at RetroGP.com. They're not paying me to I say that, that but I like the shirt. But um, it's, it's odd. It's, it's been an odd week. Staying up till, like, 5 in the morning on a Tuesday is, is normal behavior for me. It's a good Super <laughs> GT race. This yeah, so Fuji going up on a Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> Fuji was definitely fun. Um, even I caught like, was like, was was up really early on the Discord and caught like the last ten laps. I had no idea what was going on, but it sounded fun. Um, Congratulations, uh, Kodai Sukakoshi and Bertrand Baguette winning the big one at Fuji on Golden Week. Golden Week, yes, yep, yep, yep. Uh, good to see. And also in the top right corner, representing the anger of Boston sports, Cam Buckley. Hello, sir. 
Hi, everyone. <laughs> We're back! We're back! We are free to smite the world as we did in days long past. <laughs> For the third time in, in the sports history, two of its most dominant entities collaborate once more. <laughs> I read that and I was like, oh, I think Cam's at full mast here. Um, <laughs> I would say I'm in post-not clarity, but the nut hasn't ended yet, so... <laughs> no, no he's, he's in, he's in mid-not clarity. The, the, the nut is ongoing, but... Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so... We didn't have enough time to get sports car talk on the show, but we had to mention that you know, Porsche and Pensy collaborating because a certain Porsche fanboy in this Discord... Uh, oh. should, was going to be very happy at the news. We have to let him get a little bit in there. All I'm somewhere. saying is, if we get Simon Pagino at the wheel of a Porsche at Le Mans, I may die. I may have to live stream my own death. <laughs> I think Pagino would die. Pagino <laughs> would cross the finish line. But he can't, Pagino can't do that. He just became a dad. Yeah, congrats to Simon. Um, Simon. Had, a, had a baby girl this, this past weekend. Lovely to hear. Congrats to, to him and, and Haley and the family. Uh, lovely to see. Um... Right, on this episode of Motorsport 101, we are combining sports together in this edition. We'll be talking about the Portuguese Grand Prix and, well, Red Bull feeling kind of hard done by again, whether I was right or wrong for him to think so, because guess what topic came up again? That's right, it's our old friend and yours, Track Limits. Oh Um, man, are are they mad that they crossed Track Limits and didn't get penalized for it? (laughs) Well... Kind of, sort of. You'll see what I mean when we get there. Um, also, we'll be talking about the fact that, hey, not a lot of drivers actually tweeted about this weekend. But the teams did. It was a really strange bandwagon boycott, which we'll get into as well. Because uh, that one was a, a whole mess. Speaking of mess, have you ever seen a, a MotoGP rider suffer a bad case of compartment syndrome in the middle of a Grand Prix? <laughs> Because uh. Uh, that just happened for one Fabio Quattararo en route to what would have been his third straight win at Jerez until his right arm decided to stop working. Uh, it was a messy one. More on that later because uh, Yamaha's in a bit of hot water about the whole thing. And we'll cover some IndyCar as well. We had the Texas doubleheader weekend and uh, shall we say oh. the strip of tarmac seen around the world as um, Texas turned into um, one-lane traffic for most of the weekend. Um, A surprising winner, a completely not surprising winner. Um, Thoughts about IndyCar and F1 in general with Pado Awards, Scott Dixon, a great result for Scott McLaughlin. All of that will be covered in the next hour or so. But in the meantime, let's get the housekeeping out of the way. Places you can find us real quick. We're on youtube.com forward slash motorsport101 if you're on YouTube watching us. Hi! Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Like, subscribe if you haven't already. Hit the bell for notifications about when our content drops. We're on facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. We're on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101. And if you have to find out our personal handles, they're on the screen right now or in the description. But if you want to listen to us via audio, they are at Harrison101HD, at CBuckley917, at Ryan Eric King, and at RJ O'Connell. 
We're on Instagram as well at Motorsport101Pod for updates on our shows as well as intros, other clips, mm. and all that fun stuff is all on there as well, um, including uh, King's creative editing with intros in European Super Leagues. Apparently, I was excluded for some strange, baffling reason. Um, also, we are on Patreon if you'd like to back us on there. Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport101. $5 gets you early access to all of our shows. Uh, uh, all the audio versions of our shows, I should say, sorry. $10 gets you uh, the upgraded version where you get to the, you listen to the video versions of all these shows. And you can listen to them live as they're being recorded in the supporters club of our Discord server. Shout out to Jason in the chat as well. There's a few guys in there as well watching along on YouTube. Thanks for guys for, for tuning in. Much appreciated as always. You can find all those details and more, including our written content as well, on the website motorsport101.com. There'll be a couple of pieces up on there in the next couple of days or so from yours truly, so you can look forward to some of that. Right, without further ado, let's get in let's go in and around this week in motorsport and we will start at the top of the hour just in a minute now with the Portuguese Grand Prix and uh yeah. Safe to say the Red Bulls were <clears throat> track limited. So surprise, surprise, um at Portimao this past weekend, it was round three of Lewis Hamilton versus Max Verstappen in the title fight seen and heard around the world. Um on track action, off track controversy, the main features. We had the most controversial part came at the end. We saw that Hamilton was going to win. So Bottas and Verstappen both go for fastest lap runs for the extra bonus points at the end. They put Max in on lap 64 for softs. Verstappen on screen set the fastest lap of the race going over the line to claim the bonus points until about three minutes later in Park Ferme when uh, his lap time was deleted for going over track limits on the outside of turn 14, the, the final corner on the track. Um, he was deleted, the time was deleted, so Verstappen's fastest lap did not count, and it went to Valtteri Bottas instead. Now, uh, Red Bull's helmet Marco didn't like the call in shocking news. Um, on Sky Sports Germany, he said, quote, Now we've lost the victory, fastest lap, and the pole position. All good things come in freeze. I hope that's the end of it. Something has to change. Either you make a boundary with curbs or you make gravel or something. If you go out, there's an automatic penalty. Also, post-race, FI race director Michael Massey emphasised that track limits were enforced equally across the entire field as the rules were set out in the event notes, more specifically Saturday morning. They stated, quote, The track limits at the exit of Turn 14 are defined as when no part of the car remains in contact with the red and white curb. Now, the question I want to ask to you gentlemen first and foremost is, do you think the FIA is coming after Red Bull unfairly? Was this was this an unfair call when it came to the penalty itself? It can seem like it if, you know, these penalties are being enforced against the one driver that can realistically give Lewis Hamilton a run at the championship. Because, let's be real, we saw today that Valtteri Bottas uh, just didn't have it in the fight for the victory. Neither did Sergio no. Perez. Uh, he's still coming to terms of the car. And I-, I get it in the sense that, you know, this happened to him at Bahrain where he gave up the victory because he went all four wheels off, trying to pass Lewis Hamilton in the final laps. You know, he loses to pole position. He lost the time that would have set him on pole position at Portimao, which is hard to pass anyway. And, you know, I could see that if you're like a super partial Red Bull supporter. And you're feeling your guy is getting, uh, shall we say, hard bond by these rules. But 
I don't see it. I don't see it, King. Yeah, where, like, the rules were the rules, they were laid out well in advance, uh, all the teams knew that that was how that corner was going to be judged, and uh, the FIA pretty much were put in a position where Verstappen had to be penalized because, you know, they have uh, the micro-sector timings, and uh, like Michael Massey also stated later on that uh, of that section of the track, that specific lap, Max went purple in that specific portion of the track where he went over the curb. Yeah, and if he... He shouldn't be able to keep the lap if that's the reason why he got the fastest lap, because remember, it pays a point now. It matters in this championship when... We are now, we have a bit of a checkerboard going on for the championship. Lewis, Max, Lewis. We'll see how that checkerboard plays out in Barcelona. But this championship will be decided on margins as fine as this. Yeah, and not to mention, like you said, it was it was pretty clear. He, he'd gone four wheels out on that one. And yeah. they, they knew it was going to be a problematic corner. It's the sort of corner where a driver will take as much yardage as he, um, you know, as, as they dare take, basically. And, um, yeah, I didn't have a particular problem with that. And, of course, Dr. Marco's going to have a line. We know his character. You know, we know what he's like. He will defend his drivers, the ones he likes, at least, until the end yeah, of yeah, the, the Yeah, no, the one he likes... No, mm. In, indeed, oh. and, that, and that's a big part of that. And, and playing into that, gentlemen, like is is this a matter of uh, a Red Bull playing victim in all of this? Because it, 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 it. Of course, they're going to complain that we had Bahrain. We've had this now. Like, is this a matter of them? You know, trying to win over minds in the court of public opinion along those lines. They'll I, always have that advantage in the eyes of people who, if nothing else, just want to see somebody else win a championship. They already have that going for them. But I, I think it's a way that if this comes up again, say, uh, like, you all watching this right now will probably know if it comes up again in Spain. But if it comes <laughs> up again even later down the line, it'll make the race stewards think twice about, about penalizing a driver. Well, one of the Red Bull drivers, where it's like they have this, you know, past line of events in their mind. You're like, maybe, maybe we're being too harsh at Red Bull. They'll double think themselves about whether it deserves a penalty or not. And Red Bull were trying to do this during the race when it seemed when it appeared like uh, Lando Norris had overtaken Sergio Perez off the track, and they went directly to the FIA to complain about Lando doing it. And they're like, no, they're like, Lando was on the track when he passed Perez, and it's, it's sort of, well, it, it sort of to... seems like Red Bull trying to use up every advantage they have to hold on to this championship. Well, and that plays into the whole "what is a lasting advantage" argument that we had in Bahrain, because while Lando he made the pass on track. There was no issue with the actual overtake itself, but he ran out wide far beyond the curb to get the run on Perez to pass him. And as we've heard directly from the FIA's mouth, a lasting advantage is up to their discretion. Yeah. So we'll, we'll get into it more in our next point, but just as well, 
if the media is going to keep asking Red Bull about it, because they have been relentlessly since Bahrain, mm. Red Bull are going to give them sound bites and they're going to go back into the media. Yeah, it's a perpetual cycle. The media it's feeds... It's a good... It's another narrative on top of a close championship battle and mm. the people whose job it is to get the stories are going to milk it because that's their job. Yeah, it... it, it, it... It's been a vital part of Verstappen's season as to why Red Bull might feel hard done by. We saw it in Bahrain and we saw the big confusing mess that was, do we enforce turn four there or not? And everybody seemed to have a different perspective on that incident. And of course, it affected a race winning overtake. So of course, it was going to be front was going to be front page news for the entire week of, you know, beyond the Bahrain. And everybody didn't. No one liked the answer to that. Even Mercedes, who won the race that day, weren't exactly keen on how that was communicated. And now we're seeing it again here now, where Verstappen had his entire weekend negatively affected and almost concertinaed by track limits so it's come up two times out of the first three rounds of this season as it is and in a Hamilton Verstappen seemingly dogfight for the title that you know is looking like it's going to be the main focus of 2020 it's going to get flagged up that much more but um at least that's how I feel about it anyway but I mean you alluded to this Cam and I'll start with you for this next one as well mm-hmm. like and we mentioned Bahrain. We've mentioned the other, like the other major track limits talking point yeah. um, of the weekend, and that was Lando Norris's pass on Checo, and 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 how that played out. And obviously, Red Bull more than their rights to complain, but obviously nothing doing about um, any further action taken. Do you think that the way track limits are enforced need to be changed? Because this is a, this is going to be a recurring story that I don't think is going to go away anytime soon. Yes. Not this weekend. I t- we talked about it pretty extensively in the Bahrain episode in that what is the track, what is not the track? We can't have different rules for the track for practice, for qualifying, for the race, and then whether you gain, quote-unquote, a lasting advantage or not. Hmm. As far as I'm concerned, it should be... You know, obviously, fastest lap, if you set a purple sector, throw it out. Because uh, that's that's obviously gaining a lasting advantage. Going wide on a qualifying lap, same deal. The fact that on it's seemingly from corner to corner and track to track, what is and is not the track changes depending on whether it's a curb or a white line or the pavement, can't continue. Being allowed to run out there consistently to gain lap time, but not being allowed to overtake there, can't continue. With with regard to that, I think it should be, you can run out there three times and then you will gain a penalty. I'd and say, each... like I'd say it's pretty difficult because for the most part, Especially, I'd, I'd compare, somewhat comparable to baseball, where there's a hard set of rules in baseball, but from ballpark to ballpark, each ballpark has their own specific set of ground rules. Yeah. And it's the same in racing, where there's a hard set of regulations, but in each and every track, there's a certain set of event notes where it has specific mm. regulations for each track. And 
it's it's sort of kind of finding that fine line of making accommodations for all the venues you race at, but still having some form of consistent rule. And say in Britain, like I know this was a big talking point because this is back in like the ye old downforce days, where um, <laughs> where the MSA now Motorsport UK introduced a new very strict track limits rules where I you're talking about this, yeah, where uh, kind of to simply go through the rules where it's straight up. If you go off what they consider the track, like, you know, more than two wheels over the white line or off a curb, it was in qualifying, your lap is instantaneously removed. And in the race, no matter if you're racing anyone else or you're by yourself, uh, first time you exceed track limits is a warning. Second time, black and white flag. Uh, third time, that's when you start getting penalized. That's a five-second time penalty. Fourth time, drive-through. And then fifth time, a black fat flag disqualification. Oh. Sounds like F1 2015 after the track limits patch. <laughs> <laughs> and I could see F1 heading in that direction, but I don't know if that's something that the drivers or the fans would like to see, where it's like, yeah, third time you get, you violate track limits, it's an automatic five-second time penalty. Yeah. I, I think, if anything, F1 fans don't want to see races decided by track limits infringements. Mm. But I, I I personally... At the same I time, don't... it's the driver's job to keep the car on the track yeah, and yeah. giving them the liberties to do that without getting stonewall penalized means that they will take that liberty because they're racing drivers i've got no problem with it with the way that you know with if you consider like the the white line or the curb you know to be the track limits that's fine because the reality is and i know a bunch of old heads and luddites and track limit skulls will hate to hear this but we can't make tracks the way that we used to because we have to build because that's just the way things are now yeah. So the reality is, we just have to we just have to rework the rules. We have to make new rules, and just as long as they're consistently enforced, I have no problem with that. Like we can't knowing we can't knowingly make track more tracks more dangerous just because you want there to be a concrete penalty for violating track limits. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. No, like helmet marker your, was your upset safety. That... Your safety shouldn't be compromised because you ran out wide on track. Helmet Marco is upset that he lost the point for the fastest lap. Could you imagine if he lost all those points because his car ran off into a gravel trap or a concrete wall yeah. in the final lap of the race? That would suck even more. Yeah, like, to follow on from what King was saying earlier as well, before we move on real quick as well, MotoGP has had a similar system now for quite some time to Formula 1s where it's, generally speaking, free strikes and then a penalty. Um, where you know, you'll get the track limits warning on the third violation on the on the rider's dashboard. We'll also see it on the live broadcast. And then the fourth time is a position drop. Um and beyond Which we've that, seen this year. Yeah, we've seen it this year. We saw it last year. We joked about it with with Martin and Bezecchi in Moto Two in Austria where Martin put a wheel on the green at the final corner of the race and it cost him the win because on the final lap it's an automatic position drop for gaining an advantage. 
on there, and it doesn't seem to be as big an issue in MotoGP as it is to Formula 1. Maybe because it hasn't had a major impact on the title race, unlike F1s, where it's just kind of felt like, oh, well, this is your main story, this is your main focus, so of course... Well, I think, I think the biggest factor... I think the bigger factor in MotoGP is that uh, if you put that skinny little tire on a line of paint, you might be going mm. for a hell of a ride. Yeah, like oh. it, like MotoGP are sort of in this Goldilocks era where it's like runoff is definitely safer than gravel, without a doubt. Mm. But oh, yeah. heading out wide on a motorcycle, it is a lot more dangerous than With- heading out wide on a on in a car. <laughs> Right. Ask Mark Marquez how uh, 320 horsepower on paint uh, ah. sends you up into the sky. Yeah, that's arguably cost him two titles in the prime of his career. But Maybe. yeah, I, I think this will go away. Uh, I, I think this will end up in a situation where we'll eventually just forget about it. Because I still remember Michael Massey's first season as race director. And he talked about, you know, you know being more hands-on in race direction, using the black and white flags more often, and that just vanished. Yeah, yeah well, probably for we thought this was We thought this was going to vanish after Bahrain, and yet here we are again uh, another round later with two incidents. Mm. It'll vanish after Spain, because pro- we'll probably be talking about how terrible this race is. By the way, when this episode comes out... Um, Please just let me know if that came true. It turns out we had an all-timer of a Spanish Grand Prix. Right. No, that... And yeah, again, I'm I'm kind of in King's camp on this one. I think it's only being talked about because of the direct impact it's had on the title. I think if this was any other Grand Prix and it affected other people in the midfield, for instance, I don't think we'd be talking about it as strongly, but because it's had a direct impact on a title contender... You know, it did it with obviously... Lando and uh, and mm-hmm. Perez, mm-hmm. and other than Red Bull's comments on it, more or less got no traction. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, goes to show you that obviously having a direct impact on Verstappen's championship so far is, is, is going to get talked about three times more, especially when Red Bull are, you know, quite vocal about their complaints whenever, whenever these things come up, like most F1 teams, to be fair. Hi, Aston Martin. Um... <laughs> Anyway, let's let's move on. And uh, King, you've got the next. You've got the next major note. Yes. Uh, also, over the course of last weekend, if you were on Twitter or Instagram, you've probably either noticed the lack of F one drivers on social media, or you caught beforehand on Thursday or Friday that a number of drivers said that they were not going to take part on social media this weekend using the hashtag stop online abuse most drivers who took part in this boycott did not state why this boycott was happening but this is primarily uh a protest led by english football where they they are advocating for social media companies to better regulate their platforms to prevent discriminatory abuse and this goes from the bottom all the way up to the top, being supported by the Premier League, the FA, the the Footballers Union, the Referees Union, and pretty much in a statement, in a press release statement, uh, the, the Premier League's chief executive said that, uh, quote, the Premier League and our clubs stand alongside football in staging this boycott to highlight the highlight the urgent need for social media companies to do more in eliminating race racial hatred. And that statement 
compared to the number of drivers who voiced their support and participated in the boycott, there is uh, not a lot of crossover in terms of them being against racial hatred and them taking part in this boycott. Mm. No. Um, I, I can add a little bit more to this, obviously being, uh, being the only Brit here and it's obviously starting out in England. This whole thing was a mess, I will say from the top. And I fully understand why... Um, Pretty much all of English football, um, for what it's worth, was behind this. Um, for those guys who <coughs> don't know, um, in in the UK, black footballers get racially abused on an almost weekly basis. Um, you, a week does not go by in the UK without a story about some footballer getting racially abused. Like most recently, as recently as Tuesday of the week of this recording with Raheem Sterling after Man City's big Champions League win against PSG, um, he was racially abused on Instagram. This is a very common problem in the United Kingdom. Um, and I genuinely think that English football had their hearts in the right places with this. But as I've said on social media myself, this is not going to stop anybody from doing this. And it felt very much like people hopped on the bandwagon mm. alongside this boycott as as we got closer to the Friday, 3pm, we're going to go boycotting now until basically Tuesday morning. Um, you know, English Cricket, for example, jumped in. Um, the Professional Darts Corporation in the UK chipped in, you know. And then, of course, as we saw... The Formula One drivers started to chip in as the Portimao weekend started, and the message got diluted. Yeah. Um, it got, it got, got diluted to straight water. Yeah, yeah. Because when it, you're it, out here, like just to straight up say it, when you're out here and you see drivers who have, you know, been the perpetrators of, you know racial discrimination out here supporting the boycott when you have Nikita Mazepin out here supporting the boycott it it, it rings so fucking hollow yeah and, but I think in terms of just the the average person on social media because of the amount of people taking part and the people taking part not you know doing what the Premier League hoped where it's like hey uh, go to this you know, specific posts on our social media, learn more. And there was a disconnect when people were under the understanding, like, oh, we're doing this boycott to, uh, to convince racists not to, not to be racist anymore. It's like, no, you're missing the point. That's not why this exists. Uh, because over the course of the, the weekend, obviously the Premier League and all its clubs had a media blockout. They did not post anything about the matches that took part, but they did continue to post certain things where they posted stories about uh, male and female footballers of color and their struggles playing it, you know, across all the different leagues. And they were trying to educate people on how to report abuse, not only on specific social media platforms but to local authorities and the clubs themselves so they can take action for them on their behalf and like they were really pushing to like we're trying to create an environment that can be better policed it, it felt like uh 
you know, it, it wasn't a blackout in the sense it was a blackout of football activities while yep. they highlighted other issues. Yep. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, for the Formula One drivers <laughs> who took part in this and many others saw mm, free PR. Yep. And uh, I will also say that, and I know, Dre, you've talked about this quite a bit in the past. Mm. Posting a big, putting up a big poster on your social media about going silent doesn't change the fact that you're going silent. And it's, that's very easy to do. It's very easy to be silent on an issue. It is very hard to speak up and try to educate people about that issue. And going silent on it is also just about the lowest effort you can put in. Yeah, I, I, like I, I, I felt like F1 should have generally just sit this one out. Like, even if you're Lewis Hamilton, like, dude, you put up, like, free, you put up free tweets during a race weekend. You not logging on for the weekend is not going to have the impact you think it is. Yeah, like, no. and, it, it was and, completely different from what happened in the Premier League. Because, again, mm. uh, during a match, during a match week, they put out a lot of ad like they do massive million dollar ad buys across social media that weekend they did not put in orders for any ads those social media companies literally lost out on money due to the boycott yeah what what the premier league did was they had a concrete plan of action to take money away from these social media platforms with the intent of maybe just maybe Maybe things on these platforms can be a little bit better. Yeah, I know it's hard to believe. What Formula One did, what what if it's what I'll a lot of its fraternity drivers did? did. <laughs> uh, they did jack all. They did the don't they, buy gas on April fifteenth. Shut their 15th. phone off. Yeah, you don't and, get credit uh, just for I could do that. I could just get I could just log off for the weekend. And yeah. again. It was just the drivers. So if you follow the teams, everything was normal. Not a word. And the drivers who were participating in this boycott were in social media posts on the team's accounts. Yeah. yeah. Just, it, was, it was redundant. And, yeah. and just as well, the, the talk about racial abuse was diluted to hashtag stop. Hashtag stop saying mean things on the internet. Ah, uh, yes. You, a black footballer, subject to weekly bouts of racial abuse, targeted abuse from thousands of accounts. I, someone who gets roasted for my bad and questionable uh, takes on food. <laughs> we go through the same struggle. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, 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 what, it's what King alluded to. I, like... Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz, all who have been massive instigators for racial hatred on social media in the last 12 months, are out here saying, yeah, let's stop online abuse, fellas. No, you're part of the problem. Like, yeah, and that's what was the most frustrating thing about it. It's like, I was like, Carlos Sainz's PR team wrote a beautiful, like, post about why this is yeah, a problem. because you know like, he didn't. You know he didn't write a single word of that post. A, not a hope in hell. Like, if he wrote that, I'm marrying Rihanna next year. There is no <laughs> way in hell he had a say in any of that shit. Say. 
And to, to people out here who think this might have been a lose-lose scenario for the F1 drivers, if they really wanted to participate in this boycott, they could have, again, did what they did, not tweet anything about the race, but put posts out there directing people to, to educate themselves on how to make social media platforms better. Yeah, and, and instead, uh, remember what Leclerc said last year about doing, th- instead of taking a knee, doing things in everyday life. Well, I have to say, oh, shutting yeah. off his shutting off his phone for the weekend really is doing something in everyday yeah, life to help <laughs> things out. The the minute the minute I saw Leclerc post that, I I just I just quote tweeted him, put a link back to that tweet from last year, and just put the reply, <laughs> "This you, this you." <laughs> Fantastic like, working. Yeah, you know what? To be fair, given how Charles Leclerc is like F one Twitter's favorite doom scroller, maybe him logging off for the weekend was the best thing he could possibly do. Oh like Jesus uh. Christ! No, look. These drivers did not understand why this boycott had happened. Not a single one. Even F1's new adopted like son of God, Lewis Hamilton, acknowledged why this was happening and where it was coming from. Yep. And you know what the original reasons were for it. This was poorly handled across the board from Formula One. Not anybody did this right. Lewis it, Hamilton it, saw an opportunity to try and make change the way other athletes are doing. A lot of these right. other drivers saw an opportunity to get good person points. Yep. Yeah, There is a clear and, and distinct difference between the two. And yeah. all the teams were like, whoa, what are y- y'all doing? This not us. We're just going to act like this is not happening. Yeah. yeah. Even Mercedes, who had numerous posts all throughout last year about about the programs and resources to learn more, didn't do a damn thing. Because, like, again, it's it's that point where it's like, realistically you can't make every struggle your own and i think that's something that a lot of people have to learn and yeah i understand why like it's obvious why lewis got involved that is is clear but everyone else had a reason to sit this one out and a particular group of people decided no this is about me actually i i don't like it when we are not about (laughs) me king (laughs) Why not me? Why not yeah. my struggle? <laughs> Why not my struggle yeah. as a conventionally attractive white dude who gets <laughs> tens of millions of crawlers to drive a fast car everywhere around the world, get extra millions of dollars worth of endorsements? RJ has flown off the script and right in to intercept the Chinese booster rocket entering the atmosphere. Ooh. Why yep. not me and my problems? Yeah, yeah. To, 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 to put it into a nice, neat little bow, well, I will say what I said on Twitter on Sunday night. Like, it... Again, I think English football, went where this all started, had had their hearts and minds in the right place with this. And like I said, the factor of not giving these social media sites money for a weekend may actually hit their wallet a little bit. But I would also say is that silence is about the easiest thing you can possibly do. If the last yeah. year has taught us anything, it's that silence is complicity in many of these instances. And silence is a big part of the reason why we're here protesting this in the first place. Cam, talk to, talk to us about her ass. 
So, two-wheeled hours. The MotoGP Spanish Grand Prix in Jerez, and... Oh my god, Ducati won two. How did this happen? Well, it was a mixed bag for Yamaha at Jerez. Fabio Quadraro was on course at half distance for his second consecutive win, third at Jerez, but a certain mid-race severe case of compartment syndrome, or as we call it unaffectionately here, arm pump, had him suffer with severe pain. He fell from 1st to 13th, and the race was eventually won by the man who hounded him all the way there, Ducati's Jack Miller. It's Jackass, number two! King, I want that intro. You're a man of your word. You know what to yep, do. King, mm. King, um, we got your ass in AK. Oh, Lord. <laughs> uh, oof. Since then, uh, since the race, Quadraro has flown back to France. He's had another operation to fix arm pump. I believe this is his uh, second one after one in his rookie season. Quote from him after the race, Our race was perfect until the arm pump arrived. No more power to brake or accelerate. Victory was in our hands, but we need to understand why we had this issue today and be ready for the next race. And if you're Maverick Vinales, uh, you just want to forget this weekend. Decent qualifying, not such a great race, finished seventh. Frankie Morbidelli finished on the podium in third on his now two-year-old Yamaha. So, should we be concerned about Fabio? It's, I, I, I want to hold out hope because again, it's still, it's still relatively early in the season. Mm. Uh, we still have a long, long ways to go, but I, it, it feels like it's not just a, a Fabio thing. It's, it's, it's a Yamaha thing in general. And it, they're all over the place. Yeah. Even when they're good, they're just up and down and all around. And this is the now I think the second time he's needed surgery, third time he's had arm pump hit and ruin a what was shaping up to be a good result. If he was going at lap record pace before the arm pump hit him in that race, he had gone, he had broken Mark Marquez's lap record in 2019 twice over um, in the middle of that race before the arm pump hit. And he had a second and a half in hand on Jack Miller and it all just came apart so very quickly. It was, it, we, we, I remember watching this race on a Discord, at least the first 75% of it live as it happened. We were all thinking it was something wrong with the bike. We were thinking, is that smoke? Is like, is that, is that a tire that's gone wrong or is an engine issue? No, turns out his body just failed him. And that's, I've never seen that mid race before. It was, uh, not that severe, no. No, never like that. I mean, to a point where you're, you're suddenly a second a lap slower. Um, that was, unbelievable yeah. to watch um and I, I would take king's point and go one further i don't think it's a yamaha problem i think it's a sport problem with arm pump it's 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 getting more and more frequent um we've already had jack miller have a case of arm pump this season we've yeah. seen quadraro have a case of arm pump like we've also now seen i think delicia spagaro had delicia spagaro a just had surgery it. as well yeah, so we've had three already in the first four rounds of this season. Um, these bikes are getting more powerful and, as a result, more physically demanding to ride. And I think this is coming up more and more frequently. 
Well, yeah. I, I would say also besides the bikes becoming more and more powerful, it's also an issue of just look at the schedule. Look how many races they're riding. 20, yeah. 20 this year. Yeah, you've got this many races. You've got these bikes going faster than ever. You've got the Michelin tires, which if you ask someone in that paddock, no one is friends with Michelin right now. And they're a company whose reputation is above the product they're putting out right now. Mm. And I, I mean, the most public, the, the most graphic instance of it was Mark Marquez, who um, the previous day got ragdolled into an air fence by his ever-loving Honda and rode right by Fabio like he was standing still. No. Mm. Uh, he yeah. ended up ninth. Uh, we thought he was going to have a bigger points gap to Fabio after this race. As it turns out, he gained some ground. <laughs> Wild! It's, it's, only, it's, a, it's incredible. He's only that minus Fabio fifty. Finishing the points to begin with. Mm. And now I think we should turn our attention to the other blue and black bike. Is Maverick Vinales holding Yamaha's factory team back now? I read somewhere that, like, it's only fitting that Maverick Vinales and Alex Grins, who've raced together for most of their career, climbed the ladder together, are now in similar phases of their MotoGP career where they just can't seem to take the next step. But for Yamaha, especially if there is more concerning health issues with Fabio Cararo, that's going to be a problem if Maverick Vinales cannot take that next step to becoming more than just the best front runner in MotoGP on his day. King, mm. okay. I I think it's it's an issue where where I opened up where it's it, we're still early in the season. I'd probably say wait five more races to see how Maverick does. Uh, if if he stays at the same place where he is now, yeah, Yamaha have a problem. Yeah, I, I was gonna say it. Maverick Vinales is twenty-seven years old now. He, this is year six of him as a Yamaha factory rider. It's six this, on a Yamaha. <laughs> like this is. I remember, he climbed on that bike and blew the field into the weeds for three races in a row, and it's it's never come ever since then. Yeah, it's I, it's. It's no longer a a a blip. It is now a full-blown rider weakness. Because this is year seven of him in the top flight, and we're still talking about Maverick having the same old problems. He is a he's the ultimate rhythm rider. If you give him a rhythm, if you give him a clear track, his speed is almost unmatchable. And once again, he was punched in the. He was metaphorically punched in the neck early doors, dropped to about eleventh place, and lost too much ground to the leaders again. To the point where there was nothing in it for him in this race. This was another miserable P seven, and Fabio's out here winning. He should have won back to back races. Like Fabio should have a significant championship lead right now, Without and he's he's been given a very very lucky break that Fabio's arm failed him. And you're the team's leading rider. Like, this t this factory is bent yeah, this over is, backwards this to is your team you as well. Yeah. This is, it's, this it's is your, team. your team if you're Vinales. They Fabio sacked Raymond Forcada for him. Yeah, they, 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 sacked, they sacked crew chiefs for him. Like, they, they let Forcada go. And ironically, he's now Frankie Morbidelli's crew chief. Um, You know, so, like... They've had this My, team bent over backwards. It's he's it's now his team. The fact that Valentino is gone, 
you know, and now the new boy has come in and whooped your ass. And now... Is this guy going to be a number two rider for the rest of his career now? Because, like, it's looking he like can't... Fabio's their lead man. <sighs> Vignal, I've said this before, and I will say it until he proves me otherwise. Maverick Vinales can no longer continue to be the king of the hypotheticals. On paper, he's as good as anyone. In practice, if the bike is absolutely perfect, and it's the right conditions, and the stars and planets are aligned in just the right way... He can probably win you a race, but MotoGP is not that. Yeah, it's like it's like when Lorenzo on the Ducati was talking about in his last year about how other people raced him. You can't be a scalpel in a world of chainsaws. Yeah. No, and if if you really want a challenge for a championship, especially in this current era of MotoGP, you need to be averaging. You gotta a throw podium. some hands. Yeah, you need to throw hands. You need to be averaging a podium finish on the year if you want an actual title shot. Like that, that, that's yeah. how Mir won it last year. Yeah, that's I how mean, Morbidelli almost won it at the end. Could have yeah. had a chance to win it if not for failures early in the season. If I want to sum up Vinales in one, one poster image for his career, it's watching him at Australia 2019 ride out of his mind, lead almost the entire race, and then get dropped in a straight line by Marquez, try to fight back and fold the front of the bike. <laughs> mm, I remember that. It's just it's just not good enough from someone who should be on paper a perennial championship favorite. Yeah. He, he came into that team with Marquez-level potential. And he won a race on a Suzuki it. when the Suzuki was a joke. Yeah. The man is extremely fast. And, like, one of the He's few dudes. Of, yeah, one of these dudes with genuine Marquez level pace. Um, and, like, there's not many people I can say that about in MotoGP in the last half decade. I said it before it's him, Fabio, and Maverick. Those three are in a different league in terms of raw pace compared to the difference is with Mark. He will give you that regardless of condition. He's giving us that right now while his body is destroyed. Mm -hmm. And while his bike's not that good. Shout out Taka no. Nakagami for salvaging something resembling decent results out of this weekend for Honda. <laughs> Hell yeah. Speaking, speaking of salvaging decent results, let, let's segue this quite nicely into... The other Yamaha we've not spoken about. Sorry, Valentino, you were not relevant in this yeah. one. Um, He's the other, yeah. other Yamaha. <laughs> the other, other Yamaha. Frankie Morbidelli. And he gave... I thought this was actually quite an interesting quote he gave to um, he gave to the media after this race. He, he basically let Lynn Jarvis have it at Yamaha. He was not happy... It's about happy fucking time someone did. <laughs> yeah, like, seriously, like... Now, we talked about this a little bit in the off-season, that uh, for full context, Frankie Morbidelli is riding the, the 2019 Yamaha M1, a two-year-old bike, and he finished third in this race, only a handful of seconds off the win. And he told Lin, he told the media after the race, quote, I told him, i.e. Lynn Jarvis, my thoughts about the situation, and I was really frank with him. He was really frank with me as well. He understood my feelings, and he understood my situation. But we both finally came to the conclusion that I was unlucky because of the contracts, because of the COVID situation, because of many things going on. So I was unlucky, and I hope that what luck was taken from me this year is going to be given back somewhere in life. There's a shadow of frustration Jeez. around us, that's for sure. 
Now, I, I love that Frankie. On us. I, I love that Frankie quoted karma in all of this. That you know, the good karma will come back one day for him. As he, I mean. I think I'm right in saying that universally that we all pretty much called bullshit when the news first dropped that Frankie was put on a two-year-old bike and wasn't given a a 21 Yamaha. Cost reasons. Cost reasons. No, no, no. no. Yamaha normally give out four of their factory bikes. I've said from day one, I feel like they hedged their bets. Is it getting to a point now where Frankie might be next in line for that for the Yamaha factory team? Just yeah. I I would say he is, but that, I'd say that's down to there being a lack of options. Mm. I, Jesus, if he keeps talking like this, he may not be in line for a Yamaha seat at all. Because <laughs> I know Japanese companies do not like their employees talking out of pocket like this. But I don't no, think he's wrong. Hola, Fernando. <laughs> bye, bye, Fernando. Sorry about that indie ride. Mm-hmm. Um. Mm-hmm. Look, Frankie Morbidelli, over the last, so far this year, and about the second half of last year, has been Yamaha's, if not fastest, most consistent rider. He will always bring you a good result, but he he might not win the race. Last year, that was good enough for a championship. And now on a two-year-old bike, which appears to still have its ease of use, but no longer its speed... Frankie Morbidelli might be their best rider in terms of health and consistency and speed altogether, but now he doesn't have the equipment to go and fly the flag for Yamaha. (sighs) To say nothing of uh, Valentino Rossi, who was on a factory Yamaha and doing the square root of dick on it right now. He's he's toast. He's cooked. Like, Valley looks genuinely cooked for the first time in his GP career. And I'm... Frankie is spanking him back. We're now starting to realize what, what what might have been holding Yamaha back initially. And that was keeping Valentino Rossi around for probably two years past his sell-by date. Um, Look, I'm no Valentino Rossi fan, but seeing him compete like this is... It's just miserable. Leaves a bad taste in my mouth. But back to Frankie, uh, as he is the subject. I don't think he's next in line, per se. But he damn well better be next in line for a factory bike. Yeah, I was about to say. Because if if Yamaha thinks that he's not good enough, there are going to be plenty of manufacturers. Six of them that are committed through the year 2026, by the way. Every other manufacturer... When that contract is over, every other manufacturer is going to kick down Frankie's door. Someone is going to overpay for Franco Morbidelli, and he's going to earn every cent of it. Yeah, absolutely. And if Yamaha wants to hang on to their boy, they better start treating him like like he should be at the table. Because right now, I really don't think they are. It feels like he's the odd man out. It's 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 so bizarre when you see him on a two-year bike finishing on the podium, co- competing for the win, with nothing left to give on that M1, and Ducati finishing first and second at her ref should be all the warning sign that Yamaha needs. That you know, <laughs> they're Yamaha's best track, Ducati's worst track. Ducati one two, factor Yamaha's nowhere. Yeah. Bruno 2018, the last time Chicago finished first and second in a MotoGP race, back when Jorge Lorenzo was still riding for them, um, which already feels like half a decade ago thanks to COVID, so uh, that was already kind of oh strange as it is. But yeah, I, 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 to wrap a bow on this again, 
Frankie should absolutely be at the top of the queue. A, a like, I, I, it's amazing that we're talking about it. How the SRT team is becoming the factory team, and the factory team is becoming the independent team. We've already seen Rossi with the switch, and we're now talking about Frankie potentially doing the same. It's uh, kind of bizarre how these things work out in the end. And uh, yeah, it's uh, at this point, Morbidelli and Quattararo might be their best team. And that was the SRT Petronas team only a year and a half ago. Funny how these things turn out. Yeah. Um, that's my OGP for you. Um, RJ, talk to me about IndyCar. <sighs> April 29th, 2001, the day that should have been Dale Earnhardt Sr.'s 50th birthday, and of course the day that we should have had the Firestone Firehawk 600 at Texas oh, Motor Speedway. <laughs> race that never... It's not the same, really, is it? <laughs> how, uh, how fast is too fast? Well, that fast. Pretty much. Not to mention, six weeks earlier, the theatrical race of one of the most infamous theatrical flops in the motor racing industry, Driven, starring Sylvester Stallone, all happening <laughs> don't, with a span don't even, of two Don't months. even talk to me if you can't name this racing driver. <laughs> so what did the IndyCar series, the NTT IndyCar series, do to celebrate this monumentous occasion, this historic anniversary? Texas they... two-step. <laughs> They gave us a two-step into five pounds of dog doo-doo. <laughs> the Genesis 300, oh. a race that only had one on-track pass for the lead right at the very start. Texas Motor Speedway now has just one passable lane through the quarters for an IndyCar because of this thick, sweet layer of PJ1 traction compound that they've laid in the middle of the track for NASCAR. And the thing about PJ1 traction compound is that everything sticks to it, even the dust. So nobody gets any traction on this. This was designed to give the NASCAR Cup cars more grip, but it takes away the grip from the IndyCars, leading to things like James Hinchcliffe ending up on a wall when being passed under dirty air after holding up most of the field for several laps. And I'm pretty sure, uh, like, PJ1 was not designed to do anything, because I'm pretty sure it was like a NASA byproduct. No, PJ1, PJ1 is commonplace at drag strips. Um, also known as VHT for additional traction. It is not designed ah. to just slather the entire racing groove of a racetrack to get more grip. Where um, I think it has had a sum total of one successful application. My home track, New Hampshire Motor Speedway, which has gone from complete garbage to eh, mid. I appreciate Scott Ditson for theoretically tipping over the vending machine onto everybody else's chest. 206 <laughs> laps led out of 212. That's a sterling performance, but that race was unwatchable. Yeah. But in race it two, was... the Expel 375, we had Patricio Ward win the race ahead of Joseph Newgarden and Graham Rahal after the Mexican sophomore pulled off some aggressive moves in the second half of the race. And after the victory, McLaren boss Jack, Zach Brown kept his word and promised Pato a shot in the McLaren at the Young Driver F1 test in Abu Dhabi in December. Though I like to think of it as a huge success for a guy whose career should have died out a half a dozen times before he even got to IndyCar. With all mm. the funding issues that he had in the road to Indy, with the stop-start saga that was his brief foray to the Red Bull Junior team that went nowhere, uh, it it's never great. Happened. It, it's great for Pato that he won that race. I'm so happy for him. So, fellas, 
What does IndyCar do about these ovals and their place on the calendar? Blow them up and rebuild them. <laughs> because PJ1 is not compatible with IndyCar cars. Jesus fucking Christ. Oh my God, the first race was boring. Oh, Jesus. So, a reason why I mentioned why PJ1 is a NASA byproduct that... Uh, PJ1 was designed specifically not to be removed. It is it is high-temperature coating for spacecraft. It is literally oh. designed to withstand anything. Uh, and that's the problem. Um, despite washing off the PJ1, it is soaked into the asphalt. It has stained it, which oh. means not only does it is there still some PJ1 there, it's in the Texas heat. Texas, pretty hot. And mm-hmm. because that section of the track is darker, that section of the track is significantly hotter. Yeah, so you get a was... huge temperature differential between the tires running on the normal asphalt and the tires running in the PJ1, and terrible things happen. I was going to say, as a man, as a, as a Brit here, an uneducated guy when it comes to mainstream American motorsport... Is this PJ1 just at Texas? Is there any other tracks no, where they're running this new... There's a bunch. Um, no. It has become kind of a staple of modern NASCAR ovals. Yeah. Oh. Where they think... It, it's a way that they're trying to artificially tune the track to have more lanes to race on. Mm. But by and large, other than New Hampshire Motor Speedway and... To an extent, Bristol, it's been largely unsuccessful. Yeah, it's At one best, of the reasons it's one of the reasons why IndyCar outside of Texas only races at Gateway, because Gateway doesn't have PJ1 because they're not on the Cup Series calendar. And amazingly yeah. enough, they're the one oval race that consistently puts out good races nowadays. Mm. Because yeah, the yeah. Indianapolis five hundred, depending on the temperature, can be very hit or miss sometimes. That's ju- that's been the one shitty thing about the IR18's oval package is that for a road and street course car, you... it is fantastic. For an oval car, mm. eh, it's very very finicky. Well, oval, I think they got it in a good place, and then they put the arrow screen on. And don't get me wrong, all about safety, but they still have some uh, ways to go before the racing product out on track is what it was before the arrow screen was implemented. And by the time they get there, we'll probably have a new car anyway. Probably. But yeah, back to the, the, the track subject. Um, you know, Texas Motor the, Speedway the is cursed. Is, <laughs> yeah, it is cursed. It's got to be cursed at this point. With NASCAR, with, with the stock cars now, what you're actually getting a lot of because of the Cup Series Aero package hmm. is getting drivers just running the right side tires in the PJ1 to help the car turn. So even though they're using the PJ one, they're only using like the bottom edge of the groove while the rest of the, that entire section of the track is slathered in it. Yeah. Right. Now, is this going to have implications for ovals and indie cars place with ovals on their calendar in general? They're not going to seem- put it on the, they're not going to put it on the brickyard. So, I, I oh think God, it's, don't it's, even the, say it's, that. it's the opposite, where it's mm. like, if a track has PJ1, it is highly unlikely that IndyCar can race there. But then that right. limits where they can run, because yeah. so many ovals in the United States, being on the NASCAR calendar, because, well, it's kind of their thing. And they, um, they own half the circuit. And they yeah. own half of them, which isn't helping IndyCar's case either. Yeah. Um... 
inevitably this is gonna be a big problem going forward for IndyCar and there's just not a lot they can do to avoid it you're gonna have to find tracks that aren't like that don't have this compound on here or that like NASCAR just isn't going to now I heard that they're or develop a tire or car package to try and compensate but that costs money that costs engineering time that costs Firestone money because they have to go and completely redesign their tires. I don't think Texas Motor Speedway should have been on the calendar for this long. I'm being completely honest. I, the, te- the only reason Texas is, has been on the calendar this long is just that it's their brand to have big, fast, dumb races like this. <laughs> yeah. This, this was a 600-mile race originally. I mean... No, 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 600 kilometers. They they went with kilometers. Sorry, Imperial. 600-mile race in an IndyCar. Good lord. They they advertise the race with kilometers because 600 sounds a whole lot more impressive than, like, 300. When you put it like that, yeah, that makes sense. That was 1.6k to the mile. (laughs) The numbers go up! Yeah. Yeah. uh, This was just... The first race was... Rough with the PJ1. Uh, it's, dare I say it, it's probably the most boring IndyCar I've ra- race I've watched since before the introduction of the DW12. Oh, I can't remember one that was more dull, personally. And I've been watching full-time now. Bless, ever, bless the IndyCar newcomers and relative newcomers watching that race. It's like, wow, this is fascinating and dangerous. I'm like, <laughs> buddy, if you're finding joy out of this, like, props well, to just you. Wait. And props to Scott Ditson for just tur- for just doing his part to just run the field over rough shot. Good for him. I would well, not recommend when. watching this race back. Glad for Pato that he got that first W. Yeah, Pato got his first W, and Scott Dixon is one win away from being tied tied second on the all-time wins list with Mario Antretti. Yeah. Oh, and he's winning the championship again. <laughs> just, just, just for shits and giggles, number seven, oh. why not, right? You know? I mean, mm. we, we, we talked about Scott Dixon. I mean, Dixon, again, I, again I've, I've joked on Twitter, like, Colton Herter... Leading all but three laps in, at St. Pete was outclassed six days later. I don't that, that the racing gods are just effing with us at this point. But we talk about race two. Palo Award made a couple of really nice, aggressive overtakes to get to the front of the queue there and eventually was, win. Thank, thank goodness there was actual racing in race mm. two. They learned because in race one, even if you got a run on someone, you couldn't do anything with it. Indeed. But in race two, we had Pado Award up, um, take take race two in fantastic fashion. A very impressive win. Um, a lot of crossover appeal because a lot of McLaren fans tuned in to see Pado race. And I saw it on social media. Big reaction to Pado winning. Um, big response on Sky Sports F1 in the UK, who cut the broadcast off before the podium celebrations. Way to Good go, job, guys. guys. Um, way, way to go, British telecoms and all that, etc. And well on Sky. But uh, no... We, I wanted to talk about this in the context of Zach Brown because we talked about this a couple of weeks ago about Colton Herter getting some F1 rub. Um, talks about him in the situation. And now this this one's probably one step further than that because Zach made a promise to Pado last year about a, a, a guaranteed test if he won a race. And now he has won that race and I, I have no reason to doubt Zach's word that 
Pato will get a Zach shot at the young driver. To, uh, yeah. Zach spoke up right after the race. Is that a deal's a yeah. deal? See you in Abu yeah. Dhabi. <laughs> yeah. Within minutes of, of Pato's win, Zach was watching, immediately got his phone out and tweeted it, which I like. That. I like that Zach was uh, immediately rooting for his mans. But uh, I wanted to talk about this as well as the situation about F1 IndyCar crossovers because we've had it with Colton a couple of weeks ago. We've now seen it with Pato. Is like, is there a way into him for F1 here? And in general, like, should we stop talking about IndyCar and F1 crossovers here? Because it's like every time a youngster gets a bit of a rub in IndyCar, we immediately talk about him in the context of F1, and I'm not entirely sure that's healthy. Oh, it is definitely not healthy. Yeah. And again, the last time that happened, where uh, Sebastian Bourdais moved from champ car to Formula One, it was I should say that there should be a big asterisk next to that yeah. because yeah, before he came to champ car, he was Formula Three Thousand champion. Yeah. Formula Three Thousand today is F two. So imagine if someone went from F two, spent five years, spent five years in IndyCar, won four championships. Of course, they're going to get the call to come back. Right. Mm. Uh, a better yeah. analogy would probably be somebody along the lines of Jacques Villeneuve, who fell into a golden situation, who just happened to sign with the best team in the sport yeah. upon his Formula One debut. Sebastian Bourdais, Cristiano D'Amata did not have that luxury. While Pablo yeah. Montoya was at least able to come to a team that was capable of winning races, and mm. much like Bourdais, he was already in the ladder to F1. Yeah, and, like, Jacques Villeneuve always had an F1 always had his eye... Like, F1 always had their eye on, on Jacques Villeneuve because of who his father was. So, Jill, like, again... Yeah, it's kind of... It's an asterisk, yeah. Where it's like, I'd say, like, again, the last person to, like, naturally get to F1 from IndyCar would be Cristiano Numata, and before him, like, Michael Andretti. And it didn't work out well for either of them. No. No, because Cristiano D'Amata went from a tremendous uh, Toyota team, um, right at the tail end of Toyota's involvement with Kart, right into a Toyota F1 team that scored points on debut and then did a whole lot of nothing for yeah. about seven years. I What I don't like is the notion that every time this discussion comes up, it feels like people are looking at IndyCar as an F1 feeder series. Or that it should be an F1 feeder series. Despite when, <laughs> despite F1 being almost 50 years older. I mean, despite IndyCar almost younger. being 50 years... No, yeah, younger. It's like, despite IndyCar being 50 years older than Formula 1 is. Like. When in, in, in reality, what it is, and yes, the cars are spec. Yes, we really don't go to many ovals anymore, but it's just another discipline. No. Mm. It's it's American open wheel racing is not the same as F1 open wheel racing. They're both Very the pinnacle so. of their own respective discipline. And I love I would love to see crossover, but oh, for a- it to happen naturally rather than oh this guy's pretty good in IndyCar would love to see him ditch that loser series and move to Formula 1 cuz that's kind of the notion I get when yeah. I when I hear the majority of this talk. And it's it's not like the old days of Formula One where you could have wildcard entries and people could just 
buy cars to show up for like a handful of races because that's what Roger Penske did. Penske raced in Formula One on a part-time mm. basis where they would show up for like the the rounds in the Americas. If I think F1 should open itself up more for part-time crossovers and absolutely maybe have allowed teams that run third cars for like wild card entries and sort of a MotoGP style thing. Yeah. Like, MotoGP allows, allows up to six wildcard appearances a year. It's why we've seen guys like Michele Piro and Mika Calio come in. I know MotoGP tends to use it more for testing purposes as opposed to, you know, crossover ultra-competitiveness like we've seen in the past. But... Uh, well, unfortunately, it, long it, gone it, are the hmm. days of, you know... In days long past, you could conceivably run the two schedules at the same time. Mm. And... Drivers did. They mixed in some sports cars. Some of them even mixed in some NASCAR at the same time. Hi, Mario. Sure. But the thing so, is, the thing is, we also need to point out back then in those days, uh, even yeah. with the schedules being smaller, they still had to miss races on certain championships to get, you know, all the races they wanted to do in. But again, that's yeah. a key point, the races they wanted to do. Yeah, but now with F1 inching closer and closer to being a year-round sport that just <laughs> you can't even pick happen. races to miss no. and indycar's calendar is very compact normally where they'll they'll do a lot of triple headers they'll do a lot of congested races where they might do like eight or nine races in a 10 to 12 week span in the middle of the year so but with with indycar is more open because the way that the season-long prize purse is distributed it's based on the the car and like, there is, uh, they don't talk about it very often, but there's an owner's championship where it's the points, uh, the points scored by each car. So mm. that, that's why, like, Ed Carpenter is able to just hand off the car to someone else for the road courses, because in the owner's championship, it's a car that scores points, not the driver. Sure. sure. Yeah, it's almost like how Indy qualifying works, where you're qualifying the car, not necessarily yourself in the car. Yeah. yeah, and it, it's, it, it doesn't help as well that the current FIA super license system heavily favours its own ladder. It's why Pado Award was in this mess in the first place. Yeah, um, yeah IndyCar you... rewards you, unless you win the championship, it doesn't give you much. And even if you do, yeah, it's not a realistic way to get into F1. It's not even worthwhile yeah. as a feeder series in that sense to get and... to F1. And team bosses are not going to look at IndyCar as a way of bringing people over. One, because it doesn't pay enough on the points license system. And the second problem is the European ladder is in a bit of a golden period right now. We've talked about it before. Lando Norris, George Russell, Charles Leclerc, Max Verstappen, Pierre Gasly, all in the last half decade or sooner. Like, the Pretty amount good. of talent that has come through F1's own ladder in the last half decade has been a glowing success. Yeah. Like, the sport is younger than it's ever been. It's more exciting than it's ever been from a young driver standpoint. Um, where, like, Mick Schumacher is now, like, 7th or 8th well, on the list. In the last I, half I, I do have to through. point out that mm. all the drivers you mentioned are already in, in F1. And of course. I'd say the current state of the junior ladder is quite uh, lackluster in a way where... Mm. Uh, without it, a doubt, it comes in waves. Really, <laughs> yeah, it comes where... in waves. And right and once, once they deplete the ladder, it's a couple years before it gets backed up again with talent. Yeah, I'd yeah. say in terms of uh, 
between like low and high tide. We're at a low tide moment where like if someone needed a skill driver right now, you'd probably look to IndyCar or Super Formula because sure. those guys, despite being slightly older, as in like maybe one or two years older than the guys in F2, they're way, they're definitely better by every measure. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so yeah, IndyCar's just not going to get looked at in the same way, in the same way that people used to talk to me about, oh, oh Dre, why isn't Jonathan Ray getting a MotoGP seat? And I would say the same thing every time, because team bosses just don't look at that series, because yeah. their own ladder in MotoGP works so well. Um, and to be fair, that series is a bit more luckier than F1, because I would argue pound for pound, Mo- like Moto2 and 3 has produced exceptional talent on a near conveyor belt basis for the last... Five to ten years now. You never know um, when, like, the next potential MotoGP star is going to crop up. We're kind of watching one right now that we weren't really <laughs> yeah. expecting until uh, until we saw him out on track. And, mm. oh, God, he can't even finish off the podium. Jesus Christ. No, and uh, that's probably going to be the problem for an IndyCar for guys like Colton yeah. and guys like Pado. And like I said, Pado, Pado, I'm delighted that he won that race. I'm delighted that he's become a top tier, you know, name in, in IndyCar and one to keep an eye on going forward. And F1's loss will definitely be that series game because let's not forget the mess with their super license system is part of the reason why Pado is in IndyCar right now. Let's not forget that when we talk about the context of, of where Pado is in his career and why he's there. But, hey, fascinating to see how he gets on an F1 car But I'd, I'd say, I'd say that IndyCar really needs to just push back against this hard. Like, yeah. gotta be for real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Graham, if you're out there on Twitter, like, you don't need to talk about no. how good Colton no. would be in, a, log, in, a, in, a, in an off, F1 Graham. car. Like, don't Graham, just stop. Log off. Yeah, like, I was like, dude, you've bashed this series for years for being uncompetitive. You don't want Colson in there as bad as you think. Like, honestly. But, you know, I, I completely agree with King. IndyCar, the biggest selling point about IndyCar isn't the fact the cars are spec or the 500 or anything like that. It's that they have an incredible roster of talent. Um, and talent you can't see anywhere else for the most part. I mean, this year is a little bit different because they've had an incredibly diverse pool of new drivers coming. I actually disagree with that a little bit where now we're starting to get crossover as as both sports car racing and IndyCar have healed from their Mm. respective um, implosions in the 90s Mm. and continuing on for the next decade after that. We're starting to see a lot more crossover between, say, IMSA and IndyCar. Sure. And it's made both sure. of the series better. But that's been very natural. It's been drivers mm. having an opening Wanting. and being able to go do, mm. say, the 24 Hours of Daytona, Sabring, mm. as Pagano and Jimmy Johnson have been able to do. But I'd mm. say the biggest selling point about IndyCar right now is that any given race weekend, there are 14, 15 cars that can win the race, which is insane. It's incredible. Yeah. It's like nine different winners in the IndyCar season is a bad year. In MotoGP, we rip our nuts off for seasons like that. Um, you know, and in and, F1, and we love MotoGP. if we had anything close to that, oh boy, <laughs> the greatest season of all time! We, we, had, we, we had two seasons like that at the start of last decade, and they're heralded as all-time great. 
Because yeah. they, they are all time greats in the context of F1. They just are. Like, there's no implying about it. Um, but that, that is an absolutely big selling point. The unpredictability, the competitive nature of IndyCar. And yeah, its drivers are kick-ass and, generally speaking, great characters and are very easy to get behind and like and watch and enjoy in their own right. And yeah. mostly because they're not in F1. F1 sucks the fun out of most shit out there, yeah. to be honest with Don't you. Don't get so, me wrong. I would love if a Formula One team just popped up overnight, Colt Hurt is one driver, Pato Award is another driver, to see what they could do to mix up. Beautiful. I think a lot of us would like to see that. But, you know, they're good where they are right now. They are going to be superstars of IndyCar's future for the next 15 to 20 years, good health willing. I would say I'd love to see that, but an F1 team would pop up, um, suck, and those two drivers would get thrown out of F1 on their ass in the next three to four years. Some of them could sell to some Russian oligarch. Lovely. Oh, I, th- I but, thought we could get through this episode without talking about that fuck nugget. Oh, nearly. We nearly made it. Like We made it a good 75 minutes. We, you have to get him in at the end now as he spins again in Catalonia. But uh, look. Pato and Colton are great. They are a fantastic asset to the IndyCar series. Let's not try and push them one foot out the door already. Keep them exactly where they are because they are great in their series. And like the, the reason, the ultimate thing I have to draw from this point is watch IndyCar. It's fun. Um, like more than anything else. I mean, yeah. there isn't an excuse. This past this weekend point. wasn't a great example of that, but no. generally speaking, it's fun. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and on that note, I think we're just about done here, everybody. Um, ch- ch- tune in again next week. We'll talk a lot about Formula One in Catalonia. Also, Formula E this weekend at almost Grand Prix Monaco, but not quite Grand Prix Monaco, but Monaco, baby. That's that's fun. Monaco-esque. Yeah, you know, Monaco-esque. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that as well. So that'll be fun to get through on next week's show. But places you can find us one more time are on youtube.com forward slash motorsport101 or on facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. Our Twitter handle's on the screen in the description or at Harrison101HD, at cbuck 917 at Ryan Eric King, at RJ O'Connell, and our podcast itself at motorsport underscore 101. Um, you can follow us on Patreon as well, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. Fundlands gets you early access to all of the audio versions of the show. You can upgrade to tenor for the video version and the ability to to watch these shows live as they're being recorded. Um, uh, we're on Instagram as well, Motorsport101Pod, and our website, Motorsport101.com. I'll be back next week with these three Muppets to talk about Formula One in Canada um, and Formula E at Monaco, baby. So that'll be fun indeed. But until next time, I've been Dre Harrison, they've been Cam Barkley, RJ O'Connell, and Ryan Eric King. Until next time, sayonara. Rest in peace, Uncle Bobby. Yeah. Fellas, if, if you're not Rest using the butterball turkey trick on any potential partner, <laughs> you're missing out. You're missing out on a hookup moments and great moments of hookup history uh, classic right there. Yeah, bye. And yeah, thinking about you, Uncle Bobby. We miss you, Uncle Bobby. Um, Jim? I hope you look up what Porsche and Penske did to Can-Am, because they're coming for you next.